You know, this week was Valentine's Day, and, um, you know, it's one of those times where you get to have these, these um, different shows of your affections for someone. But if we were being honest in the moment of just um, not every conversation we have goes the way that we hope that it would go. Not every uh, interaction we have happens in the way that we would hope for it to happen. Um, and, and in those times, often, if you're like me, you review what you said, you review what was done, and you get down, and you just need to be reminded that he loves you. In spite of your imperfections, that he loves you. If you're here this morning... Um, one of the things I love about congregational singing is this, is that, yes, we do sing for an audience of one, but also we sing to encourage one another with words of truth from God's word that he loves us. And so if you're here this morning, if you are imperfect, I need you to hear that you are loved. All right. If you are perfect, then um, I need you to know that you are a liar. And so, um, and so, since we're all on the same page and on the same level, then we're good. All right. Good morning. If this is your first time here at the Fellowship Podcast, I want to welcome you and thank you for being here. As I speak today, you will see page numbers for the main passage on the screen, and that page number will relate and correlate with the page numbers on the blue Bibles that are in your seats. If you don't have a Bible, please take that one and use it as our gift to you. If you don't have a Bible that's easy to read, please take that one and use it as our gift to you. If you know someone who doesn't have a Bible or doesn't have one that's easy to read, then please take that one and give it to them as a gift from the both of us. Now, this is our uh, fifth week of our sermon series entitled Living Hope. And after today, we'll be half the way through um, this or no, this is week yeah, this is week five, right? And so, and then we'll be halfway through our message series after this week. And so, uh, if you haven't had a chance to catch the first four weeks of this series, um, I just just want to encourage you that you can go check it out on our on our app, FBC Mobile, or on, on our website, uh, fellowshiphighcrest.com. Uh, today, we continue on in the third chapter of uh, Peter's first letter, um, and so. You can find that scripture of 1 Peter 3, 15 through 17 on page 739 of the Blue Bibles. Um, and so if you can go ahead and join me there, I want to jump into this thing this morning. All right. There at 1 Peter chapter 3, starting with verse 15, this is what he said. Instead, you must worship Christ as your as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. 
This is God's word. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and amongst these are life, liberty, and a pursuit of happiness. When these words were penned in the summer of 1776, they did not include uh, the poor women, Native Americans, or enslaved Africans. As a matter of fact, as John Adams um, got ready to go and pen these words and be a part of writing writing this, his wife asked him to remember to be kind to women in this document. In 1865, the 13th Amendment was passed forbidding slavery and forced labor, except um, for the latter um, in terms of punishment. Now, this gave way to vagrancy laws and also to the mass incarceration problem we have today, but that's the story of another day. In 1868, the 14th Amendment was passed, um, granting citizenship to all persons born or naturalized in the United States, including former slaves, and guaranteeing all citizens equal protection of the laws. In 1870, the 15th Amendment was established, giving African-American males the right to vote. In 1896, the Supreme Court ruled in Plessy versus Ferguson that racially segregated public facilities were legal. So as long as the facilities for blacks and whites were equal in 1920, the 19th Amendment was ratified, granting American women the right to vote. And in 1951, Oliver Brown and his wife and four other families stood up to be counted amongst a long line of those in our country who have said the way it is is not the way that it has to be. Here's a little clip showing a part of that story. Separate but equal. For more than half a century, these three words plagued America. The doctrine, separate but equal, provided the legal basis for racial segregation in the United States from 1896 until 1954, when the Supreme Court handed down the landmark decision Brown v. Board of Education. The justices declared that segregation by law violates the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. Passed just after the Civil War, The 14th Amendment guaranteed rights to all citizens, regardless of color. The case, Brown versus Board of Education, was named for Oliver Brown, whose daughter was barred from attending the all-white school in their Topeka, Kansas neighborhood. In 1951, the NAACP filed a class action lawsuit on behalf of Brown and others. The following year, the Supreme Court agreed to hear that case and four others challenging racial segregation in schools. Collectively, the five were heard under the single name Brown versus Board of Education. Among those arguing for the plaintiffs was Thurgood Marshall, who would later be the first African-American named to the Supreme Court. On May 17, 1954, Thurgood Marshall and his legal team scored an historic victory in the struggle for civil rights. On that day, Chief Justice Earl Warren announced the court's unanimous decision. 
separate was inherently unequal and was therefore unconstitutional. The landmark ruling was met with resistance and anger across the South, and integration was slow in coming. But Brown versus Board of Education broke the back of segregation and helped spark the civil rights movement. What is the issue your day and time that rubs you as not being the way that God intends? What is the issue that causes you to lose sleep? For Oliver Brown, it was his child's access to education. But what is it for you? What is the issue that that causes um, that sits in the pit of your stomach and 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 causes you to shake your head every time you see that's the way it is rearing his ugly head? What is it that causes you to just think that's not the way that God intends for it to be. Last week, we spoke about how we're called to be peacemakers and not peacekeepers. And in that, we said that peacemakers are called to move toward the conflict, while peacekeepers look for the quickest way to get out of harm's way. But what do we do once we get there? It's one thing to engage the conflict, to engage the fallenness, to engage the brokenness around us. But what do we do when we get there? That is what Peter is speaking to his readers about in this passage. Peter is speaking to them about once you have followed Christ's example and engaged in the fall, what is your next step? When standing in the midst of a burning building, it's easy to look around and see it and count it all as lost. Uh, when, when seeing the masses be okay with the situation of the way it is, it is easy to think that things will never change and that's just the way it is. But Peter had another word for his readers who were living as elect exiles. And so this morning, I want to spend the rest of my time diving deeper into that word. When walking beside underserved and under-resourced communities, there are a couple of things that you have to approach if you want to see change come about in those neighborhoods. The first one is this, is safety. The neighborhood has to be seen as a safe place to live. The second is housing. There must be adequate housing. When I say adequate housing, I mean not only quantity, but also availability, price, quality, and size. Number three is economy. There must be jobs available and there must be businesses that allow the residents to carry out the the basic functions of their life. And number four, education. The children and youth in the community have to have access to quality education. If these things are not in place, you will find it almost impossible for that neighborhood to become whole. I hope that this brings even more clarity to why Scent has the initiatives that it has. When you see those Scent uh, updates on the second Sunday of each month, I hope that this stirs in you and, and brings more clarity to mind to why these things are important. The, the partnership that we, the community, have with the um, Topeka Police Department, with the city of Topeka, and with uh, Topeka Public Schools Police Department has been great. 
Over the last six years, I think that our community as a whole can speak about the decrease in crime in our neighborhood. And we want to see that continue. We're in the early stages uh, with scent, with our, our housing and our business and entrepreneurial development initiatives. But more recently, my attention has turned to the quality of education available to the kids in our neighborhood. When preparing to move to Topeka, I knew about um, Brown versus Board. And I also had heard a lot about the schools because of the television show that was being produced around Highland Park High School. But as we prepared to bring more partners on board recently, um, they brought up major red flags around our schools and pointed us to the following information. Ross Elementary ranks as 637th out of 656 schools, elementary schools in Kansas. It ranked last out of all the elementary schools in Topeka Public Schools. 86% of the students at Ross are on free or reduced lunch. It is in the top 5% when it comes to ethnic diversity in the state. 14% of the students there achieved math proficiency, which is in the bottom 50% of the state, and 14% achieved proficiency in reading and language arts, which is also in the bottom 50%. Highland Park Central Elementary ranked 577th out of 656 elementary schools in Kansas. It ranked 12th out of 14 elementary schools in Topeka Public Schools. 93% of the students are on free or reduced lunch. It's in the top 5% also in diversity. 20 to 24% of the students there achieve proficiency in math and 20 to 24% or 30 to 34% in reading language arts. Eisenhower Middle School ranked 331st out of 350 middle schools in Kansas. It ranked last among middle schools in Topeka Public Schools. 91% of the students there are on free or reduced lunch, which is in the top 1% in our state. 5% of the students achieve math proficiency in math, uh, achieve proficiency in math, and 10 in language and reading arts. Highland Park High School ranked 282nd out of 314 high schools in Kansas. Ranked third out of four high schools in Topeka Public Schools has the highest truancy rate in the district. 79% of the students are on free and reduced lunch. 6% of the students achieve math proficiency. And 9 have achieved reading language arts proficiency. 90% of the schools in the state of Kansas rank above Highland Park High School. Do you feel it? Do you feel that thing in the pit of your stomach? When Oliver and his wife looked at the hour that their child had to ride the bus across town to the all-black school, while a school sat only a couple of blocks away from their house, they got the same feeling. And they knew they had to do something. That feeling you feel is when exiles engage the fall and see a lack of gospel flourishing. What do I mean when I use that term? Flourishing is when there is movement away from the way things are to the way God intends them to be. 
The Browns and those four other families believe in gospel flourishing, and I hope you do also. Up to this point in the letter, Peter has been describing what happens when the gospel flourishes. And here's why I hope you also believe in gospel flourishing. Peter was telling them in the letter when the gospel flourishes, he said the first thing that happens is, is he says the hope of God overcomes despair. Now, the theme of this entire book has been about this living hope that we have in seemingly dire situations. So when those who are called by God to live as elect exiles, here's stats about our schools, schools that God has called us to engage that are disheartening. We don't despair. We say in the words of Isaiah 6, here am I, send me. We look for the opportunity for God to flex, to see God take what others have wrote off as a loss and see as his value position, to see fruit come from what others think may be dormant when the gospel flourishes. The love of God overcomes isolation. In verse 8 of chapter 3 of this letter, Peter tells his readers that when the gospel flourishes, those who are elect exiles look for how to get closer to others rather than how to avoid them. We look for ways to build relationships with our neighbors, our teachers, and our administrators, and etc. We look for ways to engage the PTO. Instead of isolating and finding a way around the natives, those whom God has chosen look for ways to love more deeply. During the bubonic plague, you know how they determined the good priest from the bad priest? All the good priests died. It was impossible to go and minister and care for people in that hurting situation without being affected yourself. The gospel causes us to lean in into situations. The love of God compels us to stay and minister when natural human instincts tell us to flee. When the gospel flourishes, the goodness of God overcomes evil. In verses 10 through 12 of this same chapter, Peter explained that that those who are called by God to live as elect exiles engage the fall and choose love over isolation. They won't always be received in a loving manner as those who God has called to be elect exiles here in the high Christ community engage our neighborhoods and our schools We'll encounter some that are critical and cynical. And when we do, we are to respond in the same manner that is laid out in verses 10 through 12. When the gospel flourishes, faith in God overcomes fear. In verses 13 through 14, Peter then says that when those who are called by God to run into the burning building, to have their children be students in that school, to volunteer, though they will be viewed as outsiders for a long time, to give and work without seeing visible change for a long time, to feel disrespected at times, to feel taken advantage of at times, to do things the way they are asked, even though they might have ideas they think are better for a long time. They choose to remain. They choose to serve on. They choose to go a little while longer because him that is in them is greater than all the fear that the world may try to put in their hearts. 
Because the Lord is their sword and shield. Because the Lord is the light of their life and the joy of their salvation. Because the Lord renews the strength of his elect exiles. Because even though it seems that they don't have enough, they have a heavenly father that owns a pallet on a thousand hills. When they are asked why they would send their kids to be in those schools, they would say because he sent his son to come to this earth. That brings us to where the gospel flourishes. And our focal passage for this morning, the first place the gospel flourishes is in our hearts. So often in the church, when, when we think about things moving from the way they are to the way God intends them to be, we pull out a map. But Peter says that we should first look at our hearts. In their hearts, Christians are to set apart Christ as Lord. Only he who can say that the Lord is the strength of my life can go on to say, of whom shall I be afraid? Christians should overcome fear by sanctifying Christ as their Lord. Christians, let's be honest. When you heard those stats, did it arouse any fear? How much of a role has fear played in the, in the way that we've interacted and, and, and sought to build relationships with our neighbors, and with our friends in the high Christ community? How much of a role is fear playing in our hearts as we think about volunteering in our schools or possibly having our kids involved in the schools? Where the gospel flourishes through our language. A believer's testimony should not begin in an arrogant matter, but with gentleness and respect. Christians who are not afraid in the face of persecution are able to witness respectfully to their faith in Christ. Now, I want to break down these words gentle and respect here. When Peter uses the word gentleness, when Peter uses the word, he is not talking about this forced outward uh, action thing, but he's talking that every time we interact with someone, every time we have a thought about someone, we remember the way that God has dealt with us. He's not saying that we never get angry, but he's saying that when we do get angry, we get angry for the right reason in the right measure and at the right time. Then when he uses respect, Peter paints this beautiful picture He said that as you go and live as elect exiles and you live amongst and near the natives, people of the place where God has sent you, that you should honor them in the same way that you honor your spouse. So, for instance, if you heard those stats and you wanted to talk bad about the administration, then you would have overlooked that we meet in a 501 owned building. And because of the partnership that we have with 501, We have the ability to help people find and follow Jesus Christ in the high Christ community. For instance, if you wanted to, you heard those stats and you wanted to talk bad about the teachers, then you will be forgetting that some of your brothers and sisters sitting beside you today work in those schools. 
If you heard those stats and you wanted to talk bad about the parents and the students, then you would be forgetting that not only do you sit next to some of those parents and students, but also that they're the very same people that you want to deepen relationships with. And if you start off with thoughts of fear or thinking that they're bad parents or bad students in your heart, then it'll come across in the way that you show them who your God is. If these are not the places to direct our anger, then maybe we should spend some time in prayer. Thinking and praying about a godly way. To express and direct our anger over the state of our schools. Where the gospel flourishes, it flourishes in our hearts, through our language, then through our lives. In the second part of verse 16 It is thought that Peter is alluding to when out of fear, he denied knowing Christ. Peter is saying that he would have been able to keep a clear conscience if when he found himself in that fearful moment, he would have identified with the scrutinized, the slandered and the thought down upon Christ rather than distance himself from him. The same will be the case as we engage our schools and the people of our great community. When we live in this way, um, those who once tried to dishonor our friends and neighbors in our community and those who tried to dishonor our efforts because we went and, been, and we were obedient to God's call will then bring dishonor on themselves for being so fearful. When Where the gospel flourishes. It flourishes in our hearts. It flourishes through our language. It flourishes through our lives and then in our communities. Have you noticed that that the first three out of four places that Peter breaks down in this passage about where the gospel flourish starts inside of us before it goes out there? Here's the truth. We may go whole hog on investing in our schools. Do you understand what I mean when I use that, that term whole hog? If you don't, it said that that a chicken make a, makes a contribution to breakfast, but a pig gives his life. We may, in fact, go whole hog on investing in our schools. And while we may go, the scores may not change. But because we're willing to be obedient and go to stay, to serve, and to sacrifice, we will forever be changed. Topeka has a rich history of what it looks like to be a part of gospel flourishing. We have an opportunity to follow in that tradition. We can see hope overcome despair, love overcome isolation, goodness overcome evil, and faith overcome fear in our hearts, through our language, through our lives, and in our community. In order for this to happen, though, we can't be controlled by fear. And in order to overcome the fear of life, we have to have security in the next life to come. We gain that security by doing what we call stepping over the line of faith. You step over the line of faith when you place your faith in Christ alone as a means of having a relationship with your heavenly father. It means you get to stop worrying about being perfect. It means you get to stop worrying about your past. It means you place your hope, your security, your trust in the person, the work, the death, and the resurrection 
of Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you have not made that commitment, then I would like to give you that opportunity. In a second, I'm going to pray. No special words, no special order of words, just a prayer, thanks, and give you that opportunity. If you are here and maybe you have taken that step to step across the line of faith, but you have not gone public and saying that you're no longer a slave to fear, then you can do that through water baptism. Now, normally here at Fellowship High Crest, we celebrate baptism on the third Sunday of each month. But we feel our baptismal from an outside spigot, and it's a little cold today. So we're going to move our baptisms to next month. But if that is your next step, you can sign up at the Welcome Center right by the front doors and we can get that scheduled. Today, um, I'm wearing my college letter jacket. The neighborhood I grew up in in Dallas, the schools were so bad at one point that the school district for several years considered, and they were right on the verge of it, of padlocking every school in my neighborhood and shipping every kid from that area across town. They were about to give up on all of us kids in that neighborhood. I stand here today, I'm so glad that instead of giving up, that some people leaned in and engaged. I'm so glad there were some teachers who were from totally different backgrounds. They had no clue of some of the things that us kids were going through in our home lives that decided to love us in spite of it, in spite of all the knuckleheadness we did on a daily basis, despite of the difficulties and the low amount of resources they had, in spite of the way the community talked about the schools and their children, I'm glad they decided to lean in. I'm not the exception, Fellowship Hawkers. God can use us to do the same here in our community. And one day, the, the, the next guy who stands on this platform may be one of those kids you decided to invest in. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your son, Christ. In him, Father, we see what it means to sacrifice, to lean in, to move toward the conflict. To restore hope where there is only despair. To shine light on those who are made in your image. In which the world around them may have devalued assigned a number, a ranking to, but you count them as sons and daughters. Father, if there's someone here today that's been trying on their own to gain your favor, I pray that today would be the day they give up. 
that they would trust solely in the death, burial, and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. And know that through him, Father, they can have a relationship with you. Father, if there are teachers here that are tired, that are disheartened, that are weary, Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would fill their hearts right now. And let them know that you have not forsaken them. If there are parents and students here, Father, wanting to see different of their community, seeing people talk about them differently, knowing that they're worth more than all the numbers that test and different things assigned to them, Father, encourage their hearts. Let them know there's no greater thing they can be identified as than yours. Your word says that you have Mark them and put a circle around them as your own possession, Father. Father, test our hearts. Make this sit on us, Father, and not leave. Cause us to lose sleep over what we should do, how we should be a part of what you're doing in our schools and walking beside our friends and neighbors here. I believe you have more for us than what we see. Father, we lift you high. We call your son Lord. And we call you Father. We thank you. We bless you. In your darling son Jesus' name, amen.